0: Welcome to Audio Stories, Youth Taking Action, a mini series sponsored by the National Training and Technical Assistance Center and Youth Move National. Audio Stories is a project created to look at the important work that youth and young adults across the nation are doing in areas of mental health and other youth serving systems to highlight the achievements surrounding topics that advocate for change. Today, we will be speaking with Timber Hudson and Shane McDonald, who are both Youth Move National staff and Nakia Lynch, who is a former Youth Move Change Initiative Fellow and author of Out of This World, A Guide to Implementing Grounded Youth Peer Support. On today's episode, we will be looking back on the Youth Move Change Initiative Program and discussing best practices for building an inclusive program with multiple opportunities for young people to engage. All right, all right. Good morning or good afternoon, depending on where you're listening from. My name is DJ McGrath here at Youth Food National. And this episode, we have some very special guests. Uh, we have Nakaya, we have Timber, we have Shane. I'm going to have them introduce themselves in just a few minutes. But before then, uh, today's topic is going to be really diving into what MCI is, what it stands for, and why it's such an important integral branch of Youth Food National. Uh, so, why don't we just start with a round of introductions? Tell everyone your name, your pronouns, what you do at Youth Move or uh, wherever it is that you work, and why is your work important to you?
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Timber Hudson. Pronouns that I use are they and them, and I am a youth program coordinator with Youth Move National. This work is important to me because I grew up as both an LGBTQ plus and BIPOC young person who didn't have the resources that they needed to really create a life worth living, if you will. I found that it was really important for myself to have support that looked like me, that shared in my experience. And they were really able to connect deeper than just that surface level, if you will. Through all of my work, I want people to feel included. I want people to feel like they have a voice This work is important to me because I believe that youth peer support is a valuable resource for many young people that may be suffering. It is an honor to me to be able to advocate for change on behalf and alongside young people.
0: Thank you for joining us, Timber. Hey, y'all. My name is Shane
2: McDonald. My pronouns are they, them, and theirs. Uh, and I am a youth program specialist with Youth Move National. Uh, my work is important to me because I believe that in order to address oppression uh, and barriers within youth-serving systems, that we need to unite and uplift the voices of those moving through those systems. I believe that young people with lived experience should be informing meaningful systems change. Uh, and I'm just grateful to be able to make that more of a reality in the work that I do. And that's me.
0: Nice to be with you, Kate. <laughs>
3: I guess that means it's my turn. (laughs) Um, My name is Nakia Lynch. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm the Youth Wellbeing Coordinator at the Human Rights Campaign, as well as an ex-Youth Move fellow. And my work is important to me because, like Shane and Timber both said, the experiences of youth matter. And I think that a lot of times, youth don't get to speak on their own experiences and inform the change that is required within these systems. So being able to progress that work is really important to me because... I'm a youth with experience,
0: and I know that my community deserves to be heard. So excited to have you. I can't believe that you are ready. You're an ex-fellow, an author, and work for HRC. Why don't you all just tell the listeners a little bit about what YMCI is a little further?
1: Thanks for the question, TJ. I would love to share more about the amazing work we've been able to do through the Youth Move Change Initiative. In the summer of 2021, Youth Move National partnered with six states to recruit for five Peer Connect training cohorts. The states selected included Oklahoma, California, Maine, Florida, Utah, and South Carolina. Within each state, we identified community partners that included Youth Move chapters to lead outreach and recruitment efforts at the local level. Throughout all partnership efforts, we ensured sites were aware that this initiative prioritized working with LGBTQIA 2S and/or BIPOC Youth. Through our collective effort, Youth Move National received 105 applications for the Peer Connect training. Across five cohorts, Youth Move National trained 62 individuals as youth peer support providers. One really incredible thing about most of the people that went through our training is that most of them had no connection to peer support within their state. They were interested in taking a role and using their lived experience to help others, but wasn't sure where to start. And so really our training was an opportunity to really introduce them to the work of youth peer support. Our largest resource that has come out of YMCI so far is our online coaching and professional development portal. This portal contains a series of videos, activities, information, and discussion topics across these 10 areas of interest that emerged throughout the initiative. We partnered with LGBTQIA2S+, and BIPOC consultants to develop and facilitate training. The topics include radical self-care and activism, being an effective ally against oppressive systems, advocacy 101, understanding data justice, ableism 101, and so many more topics. It was really important for us to host a variety of opportunities for LGBTQ plus and BIPOC young people to contribute to the work and the project that we were executing. Uh, One of those opportunities was a virtual summit that was hosted November 13th in 2021. This was an event designed for BIPOC and or LGBTQIA2S youth advocates and young leaders ages 16 to 29. The invitation was to join an intentional space to generate strategies and solutions for improving youth peer support services within their community through these conversations we learned about the value of youth peer support the barriers young people experience when accessing mental health services and supports and what structural and policy changes are needed to better support populations connection opportunities for young people also included focus groups both through the youth leadership council and the fellowship program we were able to welcome 50 young people The Youth Leadership Council, or YLC, was a team of six young leaders across the country. These young leaders met monthly from May to September to review and provide feedback on YMCI products. YLC members also participated in a focus group exploring challenges LGBTQIA2S plus and BIPOC youth face within mental health programs. These discussions have contributed to the development of resources to improve LGBTQIA2S plus and BIPOC experiences within mental health programs. And finally, our fellowship program. We successfully launched a fellowship program that Nakayo was a part of. This provided an opportunity for three LGBTQIA2S plus and or BIPOC young leaders to create and lead projects to further inform the development of youth peer workforce at all levels. Fellows' responsibilities included creating actionable guidance for the field, joining panels and presentations as subject matter experts, and facilitating focus groups for youth and young adults with lived experience. These three fellows were a combination of Black, immigrant, and multiracial, and two disclosed LGBTQIA2S+ identities. Each fellow received thirty thousand for their time and commitment to this project. Our three fellows, Nakaya. Amara and Louie each focused on a particular area of YPS workforce to create final products that provide actionable guidance to the field. Amara focused on future financing options. Nakaya on state and agency level readiness. And Louie on workforce development.
0: It really sounds like you guys are doing all that hard work out there and a wide range of things such as providing trainings, professional development opportunities for youth to creating content and resources that people can go and visit on your website. Timber, I'm hoping you can maybe elaborate more on maybe the importance of intersectionality to this project is and the creating
1: of opportunities for BIPOC and LGBT plus youth. Intersectionality was important to our work because so often we see movements or even projects that use the term LGBTQIA plus and or BIPOC But the work is not representative of the intersections of experience that exist for so many young people. With this work, wanted to emphasize that resources are not all-encompassing. They do not meet all the needs of every young person. However, we are committed to illuminating narratives that are often overlooked because we know and understand that young people do not exist in silos. Rather, they exist at intersections of experience. Be that race, gender identity, sexual orientation, disability, class, or economic status, and so on. We created a project for LGBTQIA 2S plus and BIPOC youth. The goal is to create opportunities for them to enter the workforce. We cannot do so without acknowledging the barriers of oppression that has prevented them from retaining positions within the workforce. When we center intersectionality in our work, we begin to understand the various experiences that young people can have.
0: Uh, I wish we could have just another whole episode on just the topic of intersectionality, because I can relate to it very deeply. I'm just curious, what are some like challenges or bumps in the road when it comes to running or, and developing a grant-funded youth initiative?
2: I can speak on that, PJ. Thank you. I, I will say we experienced a few challenges across uh, the duration of the initiative, and I think mainly a lot of that has to do with just the context of the of the world that we were living in at the time, and frankly are, are continuing to exist in as COVID nineteen persists. Right. So, first and foremost, being limited to virtual engagement was definitely a challenge. Right. Um, as it continues to be, I know for many of us. So, for example, our Peer Connects training that Timber spoke about is designed to be 40 hours in length and is typically facilitated in six sessions over the course of two weeks. And that's already a big time commitment for young people. So this was definitely an increased commitment uh, as it was fully online. I will say also that virtual engagement also limited who was able to access our training as well as other opportunities across the initiative, right? Many young people have limited access to technology outside of school, and some didn't have access to the internet where, where they were coming from. Safety in this way was also a concern. Not all young people are in environments that promote things like discussion on emotional wellness, right, Uh, provide an understanding of peer support, or particularly with the community of folks uh, we were trying to serve are affirming to LGBTQ2S plus identities. So some may and, and did live in environments where the only access to technology is not in a private space without the use of headphones the privacy and anonymity were harder to to ensure for folks. And many young people had limited access to technology in addition to an internet connection, which placed limitations on how they were able to engage throughout the training and our other opportunities. So many young people joined on their mobile devices, their cell phones, their tablets. So being on camera, active in the chat box, and also following along to like PowerPoint slides and shared screens was, was really difficult for some folks. And just due to having to operate virtually in so many ways, and I know that this is not unique to us, a lot of young people are also just exhausted and experiencing Zoom fatigue, right? Which made it challenging to get the kind of engagement that we hoped for, especially during the ongoing coaching opportunity period well. So in general, uh, I will say that we aimed to make our efforts as accessible and low barrier as possible. Given the circumstances, there was a way that a young person would be able to engage with us. Um, If we were to provide some sort of accommodation, we tried um, our best to make it happen, but due to the context of the world we were living in and having to operate virtually, that just sort of from the get-go gave us a, a few challenges that we had to
0: navigate. Yeah, thank you for being transparent about that whole process. You all are a prime example of what it means to be flexible and adaptable (laughs) in these certain circumstances. I just wanted to open it up. Is there anything else you wanted to share about YMCI, any more positive outcomes? Absolutely, yeah. So with, with all of our
2: learnings and challenges came a lot of positive outcomes as well, right? Um, And I will say some of this might be a little bit repetitive as Timber touched on sort of our YMCI efforts across the journey, but just to highlight some of the positive stuff. So we created a website, a home base online for YMCI, as sort of a library of reference and include timeline of all of our efforts and when they happened across the past year or so, important data that came out of our findings, lessons learned from a our endeavors, as well as our online coaching and professional development series, of the products that we created, and is also the home of all of our ongoing efforts, as YMCI is still sort of a living, breathing organism, continuing to develop and expand as we move along. I guess lastly, I'll, I'll touch on the BIPOC and LGBTQ2S young people that we reach with this initiative. Timber spotlighted some of this information as well, but we successfully implemented a six-person youth advisory council. And a three-person fellowship program, all members of which were financially compensated for their time, which is awesome. 62 BIPOC and our LGBTQ2S young people from across and even beyond the United States completed and were certified in our Peer Connect training curriculum that we ran last summer um, and, and were provided compensation for completing the training as well, which is awesome. Uh, and over 150 people joined our live events, which included, as Timber discussed a little bit prior, workshops, coaching sessions, and our big youth summit. I'll say again that we're continuing to roll out efforts to expand the reach of YMCI. And with these efforts, along with all the resources I think that we've shared, we hope to continue to elevate the voices of LGBTQ2S plus and BIPOC young people across mental health uh, systems as well, but also other youth-serving systems, like we try to to touch on uh, with Youth Move National in general, right? Juvenile justice, child welfare, education, those kinds of things. So again, we are still a a living, breathing entity and continuing to to roll out more efforts to uh, highlight these voices.
0: Um, I just want to say that I love the website. I'm always using it as a resource through my work at Youth Move National. Organized, easy to navigate. So round of applause. Nakaya, you ready? Transition over to you a little bit. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about maybe two bright spots, one opportunity from your time during your fellowship.
3: Bright spots. Oh my gosh. First of all, (laughs) there were so many bright spots in the fellowship project. It's so hard to just think of two. But I would say my biggest bright spot was just the opportunity to engage with the other fellows and also Shane and Timber in a professional capacity and to have the support during my project. Because literally without any of them, their project would not have been like as a success as it ended up being. Like I relied on them so heavily and having their support meant the world to me and also allowed me to explore aspects of my professional career that I had not considered before. Like I never thought I would be a zine writer, but (laughs) it was so cool. My second bright spot would have to be seeing it all come together at the end. I think so much of the, it was just like working towards my goal and like seeing it all come together after working so hard would just meant so much to me and like having all the support and everything turn into like this big, beautiful outcome was just everything.
0: I do want to ask for this fellowship experience. What was that process like?
3: Yeah, so I can share uh, what fellowship application process You got to talk a little bit about yourself. It was a very unique application, which got me excited for the project itself. They asked a lot of personal questions about you as a person, like what is um, something that you experienced that challenged you to grow, or something like that, that kind of allowed me to know that they were trying to get to know me as a person and really intentional about who are they selecting as a fellow. Um, You basically submitted an essay, typical application stuff like your email, your name, why you're interested in the fellowship. The next part was an interview with Shane and Timber, and through the interview you basically heard back whether or not you
0: were accepted. And I was, fortunately. So yeah. Yay. Okay, so fellows were tasked with creating actionable guidance for this field. Can you share a little bit about the project you were creating or created?
3: So my project was about agency readiness. And I decided to paint a picture of agency readiness through a zine format. So that was super exciting for me. And what I took that to mean of uh, agency readiness is that I need to look at what agencies were ready for and their state like as they were today versus what they needed to actually be ready to implement authentic youth peer support. So first I explained in my zine the importance of authentic youth peer support, how it was a life or death matter because youth in agencies of care were known for higher rates of suicidality and for feelings of isolation and that having youth peer support could really mean the difference between life or death and hope in terms of whether or not youth are able to see themselves succeed in the future. And then the second thing I took a look at was implementing a hiring process for youth peers that was accessible and free of ableism and not rooted in white supremacy. They are inaccessible to specific neighborhoods, specific regions. They're also harder to navigate. The hiring process is very convoluted, which can be ableist. And in all honesty, it's taking a capitalistic view upon how this work is supposed to be done, where we need to reframe and actually make it a human view. And because we work with the agencies of care and the agencies of care is human work. And instead of seeing it as like caseloads and case numbers and forcing youth peers into these like caseworker roles, we should be looking at the work that actually needs to be done and implementing authentic youth peer support.
0: Well, since we're talking about your Z, um, I have a couple quotes. Okay, first one said, in order to set the foundation for the successful implementation of youth peer services, organizations need to commit to the hiring process from a decolonized perspective. Oppressive ideologies and barriers like ableism, racism, and stingy capitalistic pay rates are all inherently white supremacist. And for many agencies, the foundation of their hiring process, what does it mean to approach youth peer services from a decolonized framework?
3: To approach youth peer support from a decolonized framework would be, in my opinion, to approach it from the perspective of those that you're trying to serve. So instead of coming in and with all these academic terms, with all these degrees, with all these different form, fields of study that you have under your belt, and thinking that you know better than the youth that you're trying to approach, coming at it from their lens and from their experience, and also to come at it rooted in systems that are against and actively working against the things that have prohibited the youth are trying to serve from, being, from thriving in the past. So whether that be ableism, whether that be stingy pay rates, um, and a capitalistic ever- inflating society, whether that be just decolonizing how we view who is able to be a youth period whether that be providing transportation, whether that be providing, letting it so that the hiring process isn't only selective to those who have a degree or specific certificates versus actual life experience. That's what I mean when I say come at it from a decolonized point of view. I mean, looking at it and seeing that this is people-oriented work and working with the people that actually are served through this work instead of coming at it from the perspective of trying to save everybody with academia.
0: Well explained. Here, you also say systems of care rely on their vulnerable youth the most, using their stories to receive funding that never goes to the programs they actually need. True story. Agencies will build up these youth with advisory boards, speaking opportunities, and promises of change only to quickly cut the programs they need the most after a few months to a year. This turbulent relationship between youth and the system can lead to a lack of trust between them. But even worse, the loss of hope and faith in life itself. If we don't cultivate a safe space for our youth, they will be left constantly seeking affirmation from unsafe spaces. Can you elaborate on how young people are often tokenized by these systems?
3: Yes, I can. So I think a lot of the times, um, because the systems are coming from a colonized framework, they're coming from the perspective of making money, right? We come from quantitative, not qualitative data. So we're looking at collecting enough information on the youth that we serve in order to make money for programs. So when they see these youth that are considered more articulate or kind of like show ponies for the system, they take their experiences and they show them off so that they can have speaking engagements, that we can have things like youth advisory boards and councils that the youth get stuck in this cycle of feeling like they're implementing change only to have that change uh, actually implemented and taken away from them a second that that program loses funding. So they're taking these experiences of these youth to gain funding for programs that end up going to different things that the youth don't actually get to participate in, and the programs that the youth actually care about
0: lose funding. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle. Uh, let's go into one more. You say, when we hire youth care providers with no intention of allowing them to evolve this work by shaping it with their own voice, we are treating them as tools to perpetuate and ineffective care, relationships in which one party has no say in how they're treated, no control over their own actions, and is trapped in a system that doesn't evolve to work with them are easily recognized as abusive. In your own words, what does authentic engagement with young people look like to you?
3: I think, like I always say when it comes to this work, and I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here, everybody that does this type of work knows that it's all about baton passing. You come, you kind of do what you can in this relay race towards actual equity and actual change. And then you baton pass to the person that comes after you. And I think a lot of times these systems get stuck in cycles of chiseling and chiseling away at something and then completely disregarding the work that the person before them has done and starting over again and chiseling and chiseling away and then completely disregarding the work that the person came before them has done and starting all over again. Where actually engaging in a decolonized framework would be allowing the youth that come in to speak on behalf of their own needs because they understand the needs that they currently have. So we'll be passing that baton and letting them take the reins of their own care and take, you know, full say in what they have and take charge of their own care, if that makes sense. So instead of like, Controlling how they're allowed to do things and controlling and telling them, um, oh, you can't do this now or, oh, you can't do this here, and making them work within these systems that don't actually serve them, letting them take full range and full care over the systems and changing them to fit what
0: their needs are. All right, Timber, Shane, Nakaya, before we log off, um, I just want to give you the opportunity to say any last thoughts, plug in anything
1: that you want to share. The space is yours. Thank you for having us. I would definitely like to share that there will be more resources coming out of the work that was done, the conversations that were had throughout the life of YMCA. Uh,
2: I guess a big take home message that um, I'd, I'd just love to impart on anybody trying to do a similar project, or in general, just trying to I- I enhance or elevate the voices of youth and youth serving systems or across uh, youth relevant efforts, is to think about the populations that, that you might not be reaching, those that might be underrepresented in your efforts. I will say, although initially we were focusing on two communities of folks, BIPOC and LGBTQ folks that were already underrepresented just within our efforts in general at its inception. I think that, that that sort of lens expanded for us, too, on that topic of intersectionality, right? And we got a lot of feedback from youth speaking to experiences in systems outside of mental health that were important for us to spotlight and highlight folks with different intersectional identities and experiences. We had some youth that identified as indigenous. So again, just really trying to widen your your lens and be um, as, as inclusive and comprehensive as you can be in addressing disparities for youth across the system. Mikaya?
3: I think I would just say to keep keep going, keep baton passing, keep working and to keep in mind that the goal isn't to always see the change that you want to see within your lifetime, but to make sure that the people that come
0: behind you can see that change. Love it. Okay, so as we come to a close, Tim or Shane, thank you for all that you do for YMCI, and I'll see you later in another Move setting. Kaya, thank you for really sharing your experience about your time with being a fellow here at Youth Move National, and I'm really excited of getting my hands on your zine. Um, again, everyone, thanks for listening to Audio Stories. My name is PJ McGrath here at Youth Move National, and we'll see you again next time. Take care.
4: This product was prepared for the National Training and Technical Assistance Center for Child, Youth, and Family Mental Health, NTAC, under a cooperative agreement from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA. All material appearing in this presentation, except that taken directly from copyrighted sources, is in the public domain, and may be reproduced or copied without permission from SAMHSA or the authors. Citation of the source is appreciated do not reproduce or distribute this presentation for a fee without specific written authorization from NTAC. This product is supported by SAMHSA of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, as part of Financial Assistance Award SM-20008 over five years, 2020 through 2025, with 100% funding by SAMHSA and HHS. At the time of this presentation, Miriam Delphin-Rittman served as Assistant Secretary for Mental Health and Substance Use and administrator of SAMHSA. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of nor an endorsement of SAMHSA, HHS, or the US government.